we teach on prayer every service until Jesus comes back and not really uh, cover the entire subject of prayer. But the main thing is, is that prayer does change things. Amen. Somebody said, well, looks like America is changing all right. Yeah, so maybe not enough people praying. <laughs> maybe not enough people responding to the prayers themselves and, and yielding how God, because you know, prayer, prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. Prayer changes things. And we come into intimate fellowship with the Father through the Word of God, with the Holy Spirit working in us, then we begin to see things we can change. You know, Mrs. Pastor showed me a text a couple days ago from a lady in the church that was going through some things, and some things started to break through. And she told Mrs. Pastor, said, I want to let you know, because when I got serious, I saw I needed to make some adjustments in my life. And when I made some adjustments, then God came through. And so we have to know in our lives, we have to be willing to make adjustments sometimes for God to be able to move. He doesn't change. And so we're going to talk today about what to do in the time we live in. What to do in the time we live in. I want you to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to say this, you know, people, if they haven't... uh, Live very long yet. I know by the time you're 18, 20 years old, you know it all. <laughs> Especially by the time you're 25, you know more than your parents. You know, by the time you're 30, you got kicked around a little bit. You realize, hey man, I'm not as smart as what I thought I was. Maybe I better keep my mouth shut and listen to somebody. Hey man, or oh me. Hey man. But I know that uh, myself and and uh, a few others in here were raised before 1960. Raised before 1970. Raised before 1980. Why do you use those, those, those decades, Pastor? Because America was different back in the 1950s. America has changed. It hasn't always been like it is. People haven't always acted like they act now. Things were different back then. And I know that uh, things were different even before I was born back in 1951. Things were different. And so we've seen some things change in our nation. But then I think about Christianity. We are the end time church. We're the church in the last, in the last, in the last uh, time frame before Jesus comes back and the world's judged and things turn and we go into millennium and we go into eternity forever and ever and ever and ever. Jesus told us, and the prophets in the Old Testament tell us that one day God's going to set up his kingdom on the earth. God's going to do that. And you know, because we live in time and God lives in eternity, we don't see things how he sees them sometimes. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, One day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And so in our lived a little span of time that we see, we don't realize things haven't always been this way. And they're not always going to stay this way. And I say that to say this. When you read the Gospels of the book of Acts, you'll see that Jesus walked the earth for a short time. Then he was crucified, he died, he was a substitute for our sins, and then he came back, and Acts chapter 1 says that he taught the disciples for 40 days. And so he taught them, he taught them about the coming time called the church age. And then, Acts chapter 1 tells us that as they were standing there talking to Jesus, all of a sudden they saw Jesus go up to heaven. They saw him, they saw him go up. And then when he went up, there was two angels standing there. And the angels told the disciples, said, why are you standing here watching? 
said this same Jesus is going to come again, just like you saw him go up. He's coming back in glory. He went up in glory, coming back in glory. He said, why stand you here watching? And what he was talking about, Jesus just told them for 40 days. They taught them for 40 days, you've got to preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. He said, speak in tongues, cast out devils, lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. He said, do these things because Jesus is coming again. Well, those guys were living such a supernatural time because they'd been taught by the resurrected Jesus. They saw him go up to heaven. There were angels talking to them. They were, wow, this thing's going to happen. We better get going. And man, they took off like wildfire in the book of Acts. And then over the course of the decades, it's been 2,000 years now. He hasn't come back yet. But because with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. And so I said that to say this. That was the generation that saw him go. We're the generation getting ready to see him come back. Amen. Amen. We're living in a time like there never was. They lived in the time where God came to earth. He lived in a body called Jesus. They killed him. He's resurrected. He went up to heaven, and then he set the Holy Spirit down, and the Holy Spirit now doesn't just live in one person or in certain prophets of God. The Holy Spirit lives in every believer. Every believer is a person that calls upon the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and then Jesus told us in John fourteen twelve, He that believeth on me, that includes me, how about you? said, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall I do, because I go to the Father. He went to the Father, he sent the Spirit. The Spirit of God's in us. And so the times we live in, we've got to know this. We are living in supernatural times. We're not just regular people. We're the sons and daughters of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We have something special. Jesus told us, lay our hands on the sick and they shall recover. Jesus told us, you preach the gospel and they believe it, something supernatural will happen. They call upon my name and I'll change them on the inside. And when people are changed on the inside, then they begin to study the word of God, get hooked up of God's plan for man, which is to go to church, hear the word taught, get hooked up of the body of believers. Then he said in Romans chapter 12, Verse 2, don't be conformed to the world. He said, be transformed. Change how you think. And the only thing that's going to change your thinking is the Word of God to change your thinking right. And so when we begin to change how we think, we're changed on the inside by the Spirit of God. But then for our outside, to line up with the inside, we've got to change this. The only thing that can limit God is a human being that says, God can't do this in my life. Jesus told us in Mark eleven twenty three that how faith works is we have what we say. And so as soon as you say God can't do it, he can't. He can do anything except override a human will. He won't do that. So when you will to shut off God by how you live or how you talk, that God's not allowed to move in your life, but he move all around you. And so I just want to say this, as we look at the Word of God today, we're going to look at how to live in the time we live in. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. That's not just a religious saying, that's what Joshua said. 
And when Joshua said that, that's something that the church people said for years. But you don't just serve the Lord by saying, well, you know what? I think I'll go to church when I feel like it. If I don't feel like it, I just won't go today. I'm just going to kick back. I'm going to enjoy my good life. Well, you're not serving the Lord. You might be saying it, but you're not. When you serve the Lord, I really appreciate my son, Pastor David, the nice thing he said. Thank you, David. But anyway, the whole thing is, when I got born again on January 29, 1980, and I found out that this was real, my serving the Lord has been every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week since 1980. Because he's real. And so for us as Christians, I just, I, I'll give you a nugget. If you want to to live the times we live in, stay saved. Amen. Amen. And so 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, This know, well, if the Bible says to know something, we ought to know it. Also, that in the last days, well, Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, and he was talking about the last days. Guess what we're in now? We're in the last days, so he's talking about us. In the last days, nothing but glorious, wonderful times shall come. What kind of times are going to come? Perilous times. And so for your sheet there, I wrote, nothing ever takes God by surprise. Nothing takes God by surprise. Why is that? Because he's God. God sees everything, knows everything. And I've said this lots of times. God knows more about your future than you know about your past. Amen. And so why don't we, why don't we as believers choose to hook up with God's plan, God's word, and do what God said? And so God tells us perilous times shall come. And I wrote this sermon last week. Well, bad history changes every day so much, you can't even keep up with it now. There's so much bad happens every day. Since last week, <laughs> I like a post I saw on Facebook yesterday. Said, uh, said everyday citizens shouldn't, shouldn't have big trucks. Big trucks kill. Take big trucks away. That truck over in France didn't kill those people. That man driving the truck killed those people. Guns don't kill people. Bad people with guns kill people. Baseball bats don't kill people. Bad people with baseball bats kill people. Perilous times shall come because then it begins to tell you this passage that evil people will get worse and worse and worse and worse. I used to be an evil person. I wasn't a killer and stuff like that. I didn't follow Jesus, but I sure wasn't a nice guy. When I got born again, I wasn't an evil person anymore. I become right with God. I changed on the inside. The only thing that's going to change bad people to do bad things is Jesus Christ become their Lord and Savior. Amen? And so since I wrote this sermon last week, a guy got in a truck and killed a bunch of people over in France and hurt a bunch of people. That's pretty perilous to me. I mean, if you're in the street in a crowd just having a good celebration time, that was like their 4th of July and you're out there celebrating, having a good time, and all of a sudden some, some, some demon-possessed nut comes through the crowd there wants to kill a bunch of people. I call that perilous. And then also, since I wrote this sermon, one of our biggest allies in the Middle East, Turkey, had a political coup. And the coup failed. Well, there's thousands of people now in Turkey that was somewhat helping us out in the war on terror 
that all of a sudden they lost the coup. Thousands of them are dead, and the other thousands are going to prison. And last week, Russia shut down churches again. And now in Russia, if this thing, there's a lot of Christians in Russia praying, in Russia, if churches try to get people saved outside their four church walls, they can arrest them. If you're down at the Stater Brothers in Russia now, and you share up the cast here, Jesus loves you, I'd like to invite you to church, they can take you to jail now. And so I say in Russia, it's pretty perilous over there to be a Christian even. And a lot of places. And so we're looking at the Bible. Now, I said that to say this. God did not get caught by surprise about all the things. And I'm talking about other places right now. How many more murders took place in America since last week? How many more people got stabbed by thugs and all the bad things happened? A lot of bad things happened, so there's lots of bad news out there. But for us, we've got to focus on the good side of it and see what's going on. If we watch what's happened, we'll get overwhelmed with fear. And I, I want to say this. I make this statement all the time because Jesus said to me years and years ago, faith doesn't deny things. Faith changes things. Our faith can change things. And the Lord told me concerning the times we're in, in our nation, the racial unrest, the economic unrest, <laughs> all the other things going on. He said, you focus, I've talked about me to you, to your congregation, on personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. And what does that mean? Study Psalms 91 sometime. Matter of fact, study Psalms 91 as much as you can. In Psalms 91, God gives you a clue about how to live at any time period you live in. Number one, God said in verse one, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So God tells you, number one thing to do, stay close to Him. How you stay close to Him? Well, it's a good thing to pray. It's a good thing to read your Bible. It's a good thing to go to church, hang out with fellow Christians. It's a good thing to obey what you said the Word of God to do and what He puts in your heart to do personally, to do those things. And then the reason that I said that about what to do, because then he tells you the benefits of obeying God. Then he says, a thousand may fall at our left hand. Ten thousand are our right hand, but will not come nigh us. He said, we'll not be afraid for the terrorism in the daytime, nor the peril at nighttime. For his angels, his angels will lift us up, lest we bear our foot against a stone. So what am I saying? I'm saying this. I cannot guarantee the safety of the cities of America. But I can guarantee the safety of my family because my family is going to choose to live in the secret place of the Most High. My family is going to choose to serve God. My family is going to choose to obey what God puts in our hearts to as a family. If God says, move from Indiana to California, we just say, yes, sir, when? He says, in July 2005, Yes, sir, we're going to California. If God says, move to Russia, they need you in Russia. Yes, sir, when do we go? What do you want to do? Amen. And I'm talking about you. If God tells you it's time to change jobs, and you don't change jobs, and you find out that your CEOs were stealing the money, and all of a sudden you don't have a paycheck and no job, but they owe you a bunch of money, that's because you didn't change jobs a year ago when God told you to change. It's not God's fault, it's yours. 
Somebody said, well, I'm very careful what I'm doing, where I live, and what I do. In the times we live in, nothing is for sure except the Word of God. So in the times we live in, you better stick close to God. When God puts your heart something to do, then you do it. That's the way you're going to be protected in times of crisis, times of trouble, is to obey God. Amen. Is anybody getting help out of this? Amen. God tells them what to do. And so we're talking today about what to do in the time we live in. And so I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Well, you kind of sound like a doom and gloom preacher. All I did is read the Bible. He said, in the last days, perilous times are going to come. But I told you some of the peril. That's not doom and gloom. I want to say it again. Faith doesn't deny problems. Faith changes problems. We can change things in our own lives. And if enough believers take their Bible seriously, then they can change things in their communities, in their cities, in their states, in their nation. You know, I think about Old Testament Israel. I've been studying them a lot lately. You know, Old Testament Israel had a lot of problems where they was following God, where they wasn't following God. The difference was when they chose to follow God, they got answers. The Christian church in America today has a lot of problems. But the thing is, we choose to hook up God's way and, and handle life how God tells us to handle it. Then we got answers to those problems. It'll work for us. Amen. And so 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says, Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaketh expressly or specifically that in the latter times. That's the times we live in. We're living in the latter times. We're living in the last days. And Paul said the Holy Spirit's saying something about the latter times. It says, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, or that means deceiving spirits, and doctrines of demons. Doctrines of devils, doctrines of demons. That means unbiblical teaching inspired by demons and not the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, in the Word of God, warns us specifically concerning 2016, because this is part of the time frame called the last days, that number one, some shall depart from the faith. And I want to say this. In personal responsibility, we all know from experience probably, and from people we know, that the spiritual always determines the natural, good or bad. And... I think about people that we know that have decided they had enough of church for a while, they had enough of Christianity for a while, and they just unplug and unhook. And you run into a Walmart store, and you see them, you go up and shake their hand, they turn their head and walk the other way, and finally you say, they must not have saw me. You catch up with them like that, and they look depressed, doom and gloom, they won't look you in the eye, and say, hey man, how you doing, what's going on? And then they unload on you. How bad life is, how bad their health is, how bad their family is, how yucky things are. You think, wait a minute, this time last year, we was over this same aisle talking, and you told me you were blessed, how well your health was doing, how great your family's doing coming to God, and how you were blessed on your job. What's changed since last year? And then you start thinking, wait a minute, they decided... Things were well enough they didn't need God anymore. And so they quit coming to church. They quit serving God. 
started hanging out at the bar again. They wanted the party life again, not around God anymore. That's what's changed. They departed from the faith. When they departed from the faith, God didn't change. But they shut him off from being able to do the life all he wanted to do. And so we as Christians have to know we were warned by the Holy Spirit. In the latter times, we're going to be backsliders. Now, why is this so crucial? Well, we're talking about the beginning stage of the church, man. Everybody's a Christian was on fire for God. They all wanted to serve Jesus. They were excited. And just like a lot of Christians start off today, and so the spiritual always determines the natural good or bad. Walking close to God, the blessing shows. Get away from God, you're walking close to the devil then. And the bad stuff shows. And so you don't have to be one that departs from your faith in Jesus. He said, some shall... That means some's not. And so I purpose to be one of them, some that do not depart from my faith. And so make the quality decision in your heart by saying this. Say this with me. Say, I will never backslide. Okay, that's about 50%. So I guess we got 50% of the backsliders in here. Well, praise the Lord. I'll be praying for you when I see you in Walmart. No, let's say that again. Say this. I will never backslide. Amen. Praise the Lord. we got about 90% of them that's going to be staying hooked up and 10% not. But praise the Lord. We pray for you anyway. <laughs> okay, say this. Say, I will never return to a life of sin and fear and addiction and torment in life. Amen. And so I want to say this. You must choose to be a Psalms 91 person. You must choose to live in the secret place of the Most High. And somebody said, Pastor, I don't always feel real spiritual. I want to take a well day today if you want to know the truth about it. Why do you want to take a well day? It's your birthday. Everybody loves you. I didn't feel like coming to church today. Why'd you come to church today? Because I'm the pastor. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm telling you. How many here sometimes don't feel like going to work on Monday morning? How many sometimes when Thursday comes and, you know, Friday's the last day, you say, I don't really feel like going on Friday. But then you realize, if I don't go on Friday, they might fire me. (laughs) If I don't go, I might not get a paycheck. So what do you do? You say, body, I'm going to work today. And your body says, why are you going to work today? says, because I want paid. And so sometimes you've got to tell your body, body, you're taking me to church today. Well, why am I going to take you to church today? Because my faith level's low. And Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then you say, fat so I fed you all week. Now I did. Oh, <laughs> maybe that doesn't apply to everybody. But. Anyway, you say, I fed you all week, so now I'm going to get fed too, because if I don't get fed, then you won't take me where I want to go next time. And so we have to know that we don't always feel real spiritual, but we don't go by feelings. We go by what we know in our hearts the right thing to do. The right thing to do is if you want to stay hooked up with God and not depart from the faith, You've got to sometimes force yourself to do things that your feelings don't want to do. And then, and then, sometimes, sometimes, 
The lying spirit comes in and says, I didn't really like what pastor preached last week anyway. So I'm going to show him. And the devil's going, ha, 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 I got you now. Where I want you like that. Because you're showing yourself. Because if you walk away from something that's going to help you in life, then you're going to backslide. Doing better preaching than you are shouting. Amen. Amen. So some shall depart from the faith. And so that doesn't have to be you. But then notice verse 2, the second part of this thing here. It says, some shall give place to deceiving spirits at doctors, doctrines of demons. Some will give place to deceiving spirits. I want to say this. Back in about 1990, probably 1995, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I was at a pastor's conference. And they wanted the pastors and missionaries to come up and just give a two-minute uh, thing, you know, tell about their ministry, what's going on in their church, what's going on in the mission, feel where they were at. I'll never forget it. There's a pastor named Judy Tillett from Fort Leonardwood, Missouri. Never heard her before. I saw her a lot of times since then. But she came up there, and I was, I, I, I was a baby pastor. And something she said has helped me so many years to help Christians. And you might want to write this down. This is a real nugget. Did you notice here that it said that some's going to listen to deceiving spirits? She said this. She said, out of all my years of the ministry, said one thing I've learned is this. Deceived people never know they are. Deceived people never know they are. Well, I'll tell you what. That has helped me as a pastor over the years not to debate with people, not to argue with people. Because the only thing that's going to help people is the Word of God. And so I found out over the years that if somebody in my church is living contrary to the Word of God, is fighting about things from the Word of God to justify their life or something like that, instead of me trying to have a debate about what's right and what's wrong, I know if they sit under the Word, the Word of God will set them free because Jesus said so. The Word of God helps people. So I've never, I've never, ever, ever debated with people. But on the other side of the coin, for me, I have guarded me. I've watched me. I've wanted to always stay around good, solid pastors and spiritual leaders that live the Word of God, teach the Word of God, because I knew if the deceived people never knew they are, that that could happen to me. If I didn't stay hooked up with God by sitting under good, solid leadership and the Word of God, because I did not want to be deceived and everybody know it but me. How many have ever even seen spiritual leaders get in a ditch because they got goofy? Spiritual leaders start following things. I'll never forget. I can tell this. Uh, when, I, when I was a boy, the only Christian I knew in my family was my grandma. My grandma was a good Baptist grandma. How many have ever had a good Baptist grandma? I had a good Baptist grandma know she's saved. And she'll pick you up for Sunday school. She'll take you to church to make sure you get there. And so she's the only one I knew. And she went to the largest, back in the 1950s, the largest, uh, I think, church probably in Indianapolis, Indiana. She went to the Indianapolis Baptist Temple. They had like, man, 30 or 40 buses, picked up kids. place was huge. The pastor was absolutely on fire for God. They had youth programs, children's programs. Outreach, missionaries, evangelists. Man, that church had everything going. But back in the 19, I'd say the 1970s, the pastor thought he was called to be one of these Christian 
political protesters. So the pastor started preaching against the United States government. He started taking drives all around the Midwest, and you see him on the national news protesting against the government at rallies and stuff like that. Long story short, the church died and died and died and died. And the last time they made the national headlines was probably, oh boy, Grandma, she went to heaven in, 19, in 1994. Probably about that time period, they made the national news. The FBI, the U.S. Marshals had to finally take the church. They surrounded it, and they took it reason being because that pastor that used to be such a soul winner, and then he thought America was the great Satan, he decided we didn't have to pay taxes, people in that church. So he quit, he, quit, he quit taking income tax out of people's checks. He quit paying property taxes, quit paying taxes because he was rallying against the government, thought that was his call now. And then, and then, come to find out, because the church had been there so long, people that went to his church that he did marriage ceremonies for, come to find out he'd never registered to the government. They would collect Social Security things. They couldn't get anything because they wasn't registered. The babies and stuff out of that church there didn't have birth certificates. I mean, all kinds of stuff. He wouldn't do anything with the government for years. And it finally caught up to where the government then begged him and begged him and begged him. Because back in those days, the government didn't want to mess with churches. They finally got to the place where they begged him. Come on, man, pay your taxes. Make a deal. Do something. And basically flipped the bird to him on national television. So they had all the networks out there around that church my grandma used to go to. She was out of there by then because she was in heaven. But they had all the people surround that place there. And by then, I was in the ministry preaching everything. I was watching that on the news. And I thought, this is so sad. That was the happiness church in Indianapolis, Indiana. And now we watched it. And so the federal marshals put a barricade around the place. I think it took two or three weeks. They, shut, they finally shut the electricity off of things because so the people wouldn't come out, the staff that was still there and things. And they finally, they finally starved them out to where they couldn't because they first, the first thing about food stuff, finally starved them out. And then finally, they all came out there. Now, now I don't know what the place is now. So what, I'm, what am I saying is, I'm saying this. It's possible if you get away from the Word of God to be deceived. It's possible, no matter how strong you're walking now, that if you start going contrary to the Word of God, and you don't stay hooked up with good Christian fellowship and leadership that's bearing the fruit of a Christian, you can be deceived. So for me, I guard myself, and I, I, I take the heeds, and the words of the Bible seriously. He said, some shall give heed to deceiving demons and doctrines of devils. And you know, all the time that's happened, this, this wasn't even in my notes here. They're just coming out. All that was happening that I could think of the word of God where that pastor was doing the things he was doing in that church there was Jesus said, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. God said, the tithe's his. God said, give offerings. But then he said, pay your taxes. And so, you know, how, how, how does a man of God get in that ditch there? Same way Christians get in the ditch of their lives, too. They start thinking that everybody's right except them, and they heard something from God was a demon spirit. Amen. And so anyway, uh, say this with me. Say, I will stay in church. I will not be deceived. Amen. See, see, faith, faith works. Faith works by hearing the Word of God, believing the Word of God in your heart, speaking the Word of God from your mouth, and then living in line. Living in line. 
with what you're hearing, what you're seeing, what you're saying, you live it. And so make sure, make sure that what you're listening to lines up with the Word of God, the whole counsel of God's Word. God is the blesser. God's not the curser. God's the blesser. And when we get away from the Word of God, we open ourselves up for deception and bad things to happen. At the same time, the Bible tells us that we get into sin and wrongdoing. If we don't judge ourselves, judgment will come. But God gives us a whole lot of mercy and a whole lot of time to get things turned around first before he has to do that. Amen? And so, and so say this again, say, I will not be deceived. Wow, that was pretty weak. Say it again, say, I will not be deceived. Look at First Chronicles chapter 12. And we're talking about how to live in the end times, the times we live in. How to live in the times we live in. And this is, King, this is about King David and his army and the things going on. Israel had battles all the time with God's enemies. With God's enemies. We today wrestle not with flesh and blood, but spiritual warfare. And so all the time, all the time, there's war going on. And, you know, I just, I just want to say about the church, Christians make up the church of God. The church of God's Christians, no matter what the name is, above the door, Baptist, Catholic, Presbyterian. If they're followers of Jesus, they're part of God's church. So when the New Testament talks about the church, they don't talk about the Baptists or the Presbyterians or the full gospel or the Pentecostals. They talk about followers of Jesus. And so, and, so, and so the church is made up of individuals like me and like you. We're members of God's church. And so as members of God's church, there's a warfare going on. There's war going on. Satan doesn't want you to be a Christian. And so Satan is an enemy of God. Satan used to be called Lucifer. Lucifer was in heaven. I was reading Revelation chapter 12 this morning. Revelation chapter 12 says that Lucifer in heaven said, Hey, I think I'm ready to take over heaven. And so he caused a division. Some of the angels got on Lucifer's side. Some of the angels stayed on God's side. And so then God kicked Lucifer out. And when Lucifer came out, he's an enemy of God. Changed his name to Satan. The Bible calls him the great serpent. Calls him Beelzebub. Calls him the devil. The main thing is, Satan now is down here on earth. He's God's enemy. And when you choose to take sides with God, then you become his enemy. And the only thing Satan's after in your life is the word of God that you believe. And if we as believers don't recognize there's a spiritual warfare, then we're like some goofy politicians in America. Well, you know, I'm going to talk about politics. I'm talking about America that I love, but I want to see America come back to God. There's goofy politicians think that everything's their enemy except the spiritual realm we live in. There's goofy politicians that say that everybody loves us. We don't want to fight anybody, but they're still fighting anyway, whether we acknowledge it or not. In your spiritual life, you can ignore what's going on in the spiritual realm if you want to, but the devil's going to keep on working, keep on working, keep on working. 
But when you choose, when you choose to walk close to Jesus, obey the word of God, then you're joining the fight with God to be able to resist the devil. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And so you've got to choose that you're going to fight in the spiritual warfare the right way. And the thing about this that too many Christians don't understand, Jesus already defeated Satan 2,000 years ago. In Revelation 1.18, he said, I've got the keys now of hell and of death. But Jesus told us also in Matthew 18.18, now what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Jesus got the victory, but until this church age is over with, we're still down here where the defeated enemy is, but we've got to demonstrate his defeat. Amen. Amen. Somebody give the Lord a hand. You guys are too quiet. So, 1 Chronicles 12.32. By the way, Israel is a type of the church. And so we look at the Old Testament about Israel, what's going on. That shows us how we handle the times we're living in. So anyway, this is talking about the armies and the leaders that uh, David had and the army under him. And this is talking about this particular family here and the children of Issachar. Now, look at this. There's a spiritual principle here for leadership, which were men that had the understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Had understanding of the times to know that Israel ought to do. And so there's a very real, very deadly spiritual warfare taking place in the time we live. And God hasn't changed. God has anointed and gifted end-time spiritual leaders to teach you what to do. God has given men and women of faith a call of spiritual leadership to show the people of today how Christians ought to live, that understand the times we live in. And so I've really been in serious prayer about how to effectively teach and lead the ones that God has trusted to my care. And I want to look at John chapter 17. John chapter 17, and look at some things that our Lord and Savior Jesus prayed concerning the church and the end times. John chapter 17 was coming to the most critical and serious place of Jesus' earth time walk, his earth time ministry. He was coming to the end, and you know, I don't know about you. But I know about me, if I knew I was coming to a place in life where I was getting ready to part this earth and go to heaven, I'm a serious prayer. I'd really be a serious prayer. I'd be thinking about things, looking at things, analyzing things. And I, I, know, I, know, I know an old guy in life right now, Barstow, that we've been witnessing to for the last, I'd say, half a dozen years. And Farber's family told us a couple of days ago the guy's really getting close to go to heaven. And the guy uh, never has been a Christian yet. And so we've been praying for him, every opportunity to share the gospel. And the other day when I was praying for him, I thinking, man, I've got to get over there as soon as I can. But the door's got to be open. Somebody already tells you, don't want God, don't, those kind of things. You've got to wait till the time's right. And so I know this guy's getting close enough to heaven that I know I just picture him in his house sitting there praying now, contemplating things. You know, he's up, up in his 80s, almost 90 years old, thinking, man, this guy's looking back over his life. He's reflecting. He's thinking. He's looking. He's praying. I'm thinking, man, this guy, 
is just really getting serious now about trying to find out about eternal things, God and things. I said, let's say this. Jesus, the Son of God, lived in an earth suit. He was all God. He was all man. But he knows he's getting ready to go to the cross. And we all know, I think we all know, a lot of us know, the prayer of the Garden of Gethsemane. That was his prayer where he, he cried, he prayed, and, and it was where he sweat great drops of blood because of the pressure that was on him. He knew, he knew that he'd been with God forever and ever, come down for those few short years here on earth, lived in that body, and the physical part, the crucified, was torment to think about that. But the biggest torment was he knew this, he was getting ready to become separated from the Father and go down to hell by himself without the Spirit of God. And he, he was tormented over that. He's always been hooked up with God. He made that choice. And then on the inside, he's debating, wow, what did I get myself into? How did I do this? And finally, he was so tormented, he says he sweat great drops of blood. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I'll follow through with this. And the whole thing was he knew he was getting ready with all the demonic hatred there's ever been against God's race, the human race. He knew he's getting ready to go hell separate from God. And that's why on the cross he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was quoting from the Psalms. He went down there. He took our punishment forever and ever and ever and ever so we don't have to go down there. What I'm saying is this. As serious as that prayer was, now here's his other prayer. He's praying for us looking into the future for where we are. So he's praying this prayer from John 17. Now, because of time, we don't read the whole thing this morning. But you yourself need to study this, go over it, look at it, and examine it, and listen to what Jesus prayed. And so, uh, and, uh, today, he put up my heart to study this. And so, this is the specific prayer that Jesus prayed to believers in the last days. This is the specific prayer that he prayed for us. And so we want to closely study this in our own time. But anyway, I want you to notice this. He's going to tell us what to do in 2016 in Barstow, California, or wherever you live at. If you're a believer, you're supposed to be living in Christ, and Christ's living in you. And so verse number one, for the times we live in, this jumped off at me. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father... And then he begins the prayer. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father. And so you must have an active personal relationship with your Heavenly Father. And you must take your eyes off the television news. Take your eyes off the internet whining. Take your eyes off the finger pointing at black people, white people, Democrats, Republicans, rich people, poor people, every other people. Everybody's blaming somebody for something because Satan is the father of confusion and division. And so with all the different things going on, Jesus begins to pray. He lifted up his eyes to heaven. So you must lift up your eyes to God in prayer and not allow the ungodly bad news of the world to overwhelm you. And, you know, I just want to say this. With all the stuff going on, if you're, if you're right now in life confused, in fear... All the time wondering, what's this world coming to? What's this world coming to? I wonder what's going to happen. I'm afraid for my kids to go to school. I'm afraid to go to the grocery store. 
Well, I'm afraid to go to that city because of this reason. I'm afraid to go to that neighbor. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Then you're not lifting up your eyes to heaven enough. You're not looking to the Father enough. Jesus has shown us what to do. And so this entire chapter, Jesus prayed. And listen to this. I'm going to give you another nugget. If you want to know what is in a spiritual leader's heart, listen closely to how he prays. Especially when he closes his eyes and looks to heaven. And so I know that for me, for me, I know I'm not a phony. But if I'm with you praying in the hospital room with you, I'm at your house and you're having problems and I'm praying with you. When I come up here to this pulpit, God's holy pulpit, at service time, and we're starting a service, and I close my eyes and pray, I've got my eyes off of you. I've got my eyes on heaven. And when you hear me pray, it's not to try to manipulate you prayer. It's to be communicating with my Father. The way I pray in here when I close my eyes is the same way I pray at home when I close my eyes. I talk to my Father not to try to move people. I talk to my Father. And so it's the same thing with you. When you close your eyes and pray, I've taken for granted I'm hearing your heart, how you really believe. I've taken that I hear your relationship with God. And so, in other words, what I'm saying is prayer is a very, very, very real, serious, but unless you're, unless you're with a con person, a con man or a con woman who likes to con people, you're hearing somebody's heart when they pray. I want to say that again. Unless, unless you're dealing with a con person, some kind of religious person wants to manipulate people, you're here in a heart when somebody prays. And so Jesus right here is praying. So we're here in the heart of Jesus. And then also, I always remember some other things Jesus said in the Gospel of John. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. He said, I only say those things I hear my Father say. He said, I only do those things I see my Father do. And so Jesus is praying the heart of God. And in studying this prayer here, I want to give you something I learned years ago about Bible interpretation. You know, uh, he told Timothy also, 2 Timothy 2.15, said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that is not to be ashamed, rightly dividing. Now, dividing means interpreting. Rightly interpreting the word of truth. And so... If he warned us to rightly interpret, then it's possible to wrongly interpret. And so we want to rightly interpret the Word of God. So one key to Bible interpretation is this, a major key really, is this. Whenever you're reading a passage of Scripture, number one, there's three questions you need to ask yourself. Number one, who's doing the talking? Number two, who are they talking to? Number three... What are they talking about? Why is that so important? Because sometimes some passages in the Bible are written straight to sinners. Some passages in the Bible are written straight to Israel and not pertaining to the church. And then some passages are right to the church. And so then we need to see who it is that's doing the talking to that passage or what they're talking about. A lot of things in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus was doing the talking He's talking to Jews and not to us. And then there's things sometimes that Paul, in the epistles, was talking to the Christian church and not to Jews. They didn't apply to Jews, they applied to us. Different things. So we have to understand, we're reading a passage, who's doing the talking, what are they talking about? Well, see, 
Paul, the New Testament didn't tell us don't eat pork. Or the Old Testament said don't eat pork. But under the New Testament, he said nuts is to be refused. It's sanctified by the Word of God in prayer. We eat anything we want to because we pray over it in faith. And so we have to understand there's things in the Bible we've got to find out if we're going to rightly interpret the Word of God, find out are they talking to me or who are they talking to? What are they talking about? Who's doing the talking? So in this passage right here, it's real obvious. This is Jesus. He's talking to the Father. He's talking about the church. And what's he talking about? He's talking about how the church is supposed to live in the end times. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I pray to my Father that you get what I'm going to talk about the next few minutes. This is Jesus getting ready to go to the Father. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And before he goes, he looks into the time we live in. He begins to pray. But then, as he's praying, as his heart is opened up to God about what he sees, he's praying how we're supposed to live. Well, come back tonight we'll finish this. No, no, we're going to finish it now. But so let's look at this. I'm going to look at, I'm going to just pick a few verses out of here because it's so much, so rich that I want you to see what Jesus wants us to see today. Number one thing we're looking at is verse 9 and verse 20. He's praying with the disciples. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. He said, right now, I'm not praying for sinners. I pray for my followers. That's so important that you know that. Remember last week I talked about there's a way, the way that we're going to preach to the world, where we're going to preach to Christians. Well, Jesus said, I'm not praying for the unsaved world right now. He said, I'm praying for my people, the church. He said, I'm praying for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. How many here believe that you belong to God? Amen. And so Jesus said, I'm praying for them. I want you to notice verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, talking about those disciples and apostles with him, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. How many here believe on Jesus with your words? With your heart you believe on Jesus. So that tells me right here that Jesus isn't praying for the world or just for those apostles there. He's praying for us in the end times we believe on him, we've been given to him. And so Jesus prayed for you and me in this prayer. And so we have to know, because he's praying for us, that we're an answer to his prayer. And we need to respond in our hearts to his prayer, to the words of his prayer. And basically what this is going to come down to, he's praying for the church to come into unity of the faith. As the church goes, so goes the world around us. As the church goes. And so look at verse 14 through 16. He says, I've given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. The world hates us because we won't compromise the word of God. We walk with the word of God, and we're we're hated. Jesus told us, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. The evil one, the evil that's in the world, he wants to protect us. And this is Jesus praying, they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. And so we are, we are in the world, 
we're not of the world. We have dual citizenship. We have dual citizenship. That's what you have to understand. We are spiritual beings. We live in an earth suit. We have to be able to go in in and out, back and forth between two different worlds. We go into the kingdom of God, we get help, we get answers, come back to this world and live it out. We're living in two worlds. All around us, in this world, there's sin, sickness, disease, strife, poverty, division, everybody hating each other. And we close our eyes with the word of God and we step back into heaven again. We get peace, joy, love, answers, healing, what we need, we get from heaven. And then we come back down to this world. And we're not supposed to climb into some little mountain hut and say, oh, Jesus, please come quickly. He said, I don't want you to take them out of the world. He said, keep them in there, but they're not of it. And so we come back into this realm there. We go up to Fort Irwin. We go to the school system. We go to the Walmart. We go to the neighborhoods. And our light shines. We share the love of God. We break what's out of the world to this world. And as what we bring from that world comes back into this world, then the same thing will happen that happened to Bernie Samples back in the late 1970s. In 1979, I loved to drink, cuss, smoke, fornicate, every evil thing I could do because I wasn't in this world we're in here in the Christian church. I was in the world all the way. And so I began to get drawn by the Spirit of God to make a change. God sent a Baptist believer into my life was one of my customers. I started seeing things different, what things different. And so then I looked at the other world enough through Christians that I saw that something got into me. It's called conviction. I got convicted. I didn't want what was out there anymore. And so then I re-registered my citizenship. I become a citizen of heaven when I asked Jesus into my heart. And then people at my job looked at me I was a single man. I remember one guy in particular said, what are you doing about sex now? I said, I don't have it now. Oh, come on, man, because we used to run around the honky-tonks together. We did those things together, run around stupid stuff. He said, well, what are you doing? I said, I love Jesus. I go to church. Oh, come on, you can't do that. Well, see, he didn't recognize because he wasn't a citizen of my kingdom yet. He didn't recognize what the difference was. That God changed me on the inside because I changed on the inside it changed my outside. And so what I had on the inside began to influence people on my job from the outside. And I became, I became an ambassador for the other kingdom. And I led many people to Jesus Christ as a truck driver because of what I had on the inside. And so I was in the world but not of the world. We today have to know we're in it, but we're not of it. We've got to start acting different. Amen. I'll say it again. I'm no better preaching than you are shouting. Now, I want you to look. Amen. Verse 17 says this. Sanctify them. That means set them apart through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God's word is truth. The word of God is God's truth for believers. It sets us apart from how the unsaved people of the world live and think and talk and behave. The Word of God changes us. And so I want to, what I want to do is look at this main theme now, as we're getting ready to close, of what to do in the time we live in. Verse 11 says this. 
He said, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. Now look at this. Here's the prayer. That they may be one, even as we are one. That they may be one, even as we are one. The Father and Jesus were of one mind, not in strife and division. They were in unity, same purpose and goals. As believers, if we're going to become one in our thinking with God, we've got to become one with thinking of each other, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Jesus had one purpose. He said, I came into the world to save the world. Jesus said, my prayer is that these end-time people will get it. Quit fighting about skin color. Quit fighting about money. Quit fighting about politics. Quit fighting about these things. said, I'm praying to my Father that you'll become one in how you think. You don't worry because they go to the Baptist church. Or do you, you don't worry that they were sprinkled in the Catholic church. You don't worry what they are. said, you have one purpose and one mind. What is the major key to the book of Acts? They were one heart, one accord. They were one spirit. They were one place praying together. They worked together. And what was their common goal? The heart of God to let people know, if you're not born again, you're not going to go to heaven. Jesus said, the key to the end time is for us as believers to start becoming one again. And you know, it's not hard. It's not hard to sit in one church with people you go to church with and be in agreement. But it's hard on your job. When you're working with somebody else that goes to another church, they start talking something they heard preached that you don't agree with. It's kind of hard, kind of hard. If you're a, I hate to say this, but a Republican Christian, you've got a Democratic Christian friend, why should we divide it over politics? That's the devil. We need to become united around Jesus Christ. We need to, when we're on our job there, and somebody finds out, what political party you are, or something different about you, you just don't say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Which Jesus do you serve? we got two different Jesus? Is he two different colors? I, I, I belong to Jesus. Don't you belong to Jesus? Well, let's stop this fighting then. This person working over at the next station, they don't belong to Jesus yet. We're over here fighting. That man's going to hell. I want you to notice verse 21, last verse, last one we're looking at today. He said this, that they all may be one. He keeps talking about this over and over again, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe. That the world may believe. That thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect, or mature, complete, and one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, as loved them as thou hast loved me. And so, Jesus said, when the unsaved people of the world see that Christians, no matter what their race, economic status, education level, or where they live, that they have one purpose in life, that they overlook skin color, faults, 
different little doctoral beliefs they don't agree on, but they respect each other, they get along with each other. Then he said, the world's going to know that Jesus is the Son of God. And so if we want to see change in the world, we must change how we see each other. This is how to live in the end times. Jesus told us this. If we want to see change in the world, we've got to change how we see each other. We're in the world temporarily, but not of the world. Let's start acting, talking like sons and daughters of God, because that's what Jesus prayed for. Amen? Amen. That's how to live in these last days. That's how to change our nation. Amen. Well, let's stand up.